Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. I'm Perry Nemroth. This is Alexandra Daddario. Let's get into it. So, the very first thing we do on Ladies Night is I need to introduce you to the Ladies Night Dice Tower, which is right behind me. I got a whole bunch of random things to ask you, and we only have so much time. So I've got eight questions prepared. I roll that die on the Dice Tower three times, and whatever we roll, that's what we start with. Great. First roll is happening right now. Okay, great. I love it. We got number one. Number one is our high-low game. Okay. Can you give me one audition high and one audition low, and then maybe how you overcame that low? Um, an audition high, I mean, any audition high is when you go in and you do it once, and they go, wow, that was perfect. We don't even know what to say. Just try it again. And Or when you send a tape in and, you know there's no notes and they love it. And usually that's a good sign that you're in the mix or you might get the job. So that's always a good feeling. My audition low as an adult, I had plenty when I was a kid cause I was, you know, a kid and irresponsible and, um, being late was a huge problem for me as a kid. And that, th- that was always very embarrassing, but as an adult, it's, I, for a while would attempt a British accent when I was brought in for a British character. Um, I cannot do one. I know that I'm out of a lot of roles just by saying that, but I can't. And um, going in to attempt a British accent and realizing in the middle of the scene that it was just a very pointless thing to be doing. And then the looks on everyone's faces right after you finish the scene and they just go, thank you so much for coming in. You know, it's, that's, that's always, you know, not a great feeling. Is it specifically a British accent or is it accents in general? I can do a Southern accent. Okay. Um, But it's pretty much any other accent I'm very bad at. Yes. No, no judgment here. I couldn't even, if, if I try, if I tried, I'd be too embarrassed. That'll never happen. All right. Next roll. Okay. All right. This one is number, oh, number five. I'm glad we landed on this one because I only discovered your YouTube channel to prepare for this interview. And it is utterly delightful. And I love how it feels like you're just game for absolutely anything. So what is number one on your YouTube channel bucket list? If you could take the biggest swing and make a video of whatever you wanted, what would it be? God. Um, The thing with the YouTube channel is that the point of it was when we started it, me and my roommates during the pandemic, we were like, why are we doing this? We're just bored. And that's sort of the point of the YouTube channel is it's just us being bored and then me editing it together um, and our weird antics. I mean, what I really miss about the YouTube channel is the three of us together, me, Morgan, and Kate, um, who are featured on the channel. Um, I would love for the three of us to go on a trip to a foreign country all together and just film the whole thing and see what nonsense happens. Cause when you get the three of us together, we're just ridiculous. Um, so that would be my bucket list thing. Um, I never, uh, expected this many people to watch it. I didn't think anyone would be that interested to be honest. So I'm delighted that people like it enough. It is a lot of fun. You should be very proud of that. And do you, so you do really edit all of that on your own? Yeah, I found it very, I was so bored and obviously like everybody else, so overwhelmed by the beginning and of course middle um, and end, but in the beginning you're 
my brain was just, it was just very overwhelming. So I actually found that filming and then the editing process I found to be very like, it was something to fully focus on um, that wasn't the world around me, just sort of like, um, like methodical work. Like um, I get the same feeling, you know, reading or doing a puzzle, that kind of thing. So just editing the video and cutting it together in a way that felt funny to me was a very uh, fun pastime. Understandable. You're very good. You're very good at it. Okay. There, there's there's like actually a rhythm to them that I think just really well suits the material. I was very impressed. Thank you very much. I'm going to give you one more roll here. Sure. All right. We're going number eight. Number eight is, oh, this is a big one, role swap. If you could go back and swap roles in any of the movies that you've done with any of your co-cast, what role would you want to give a go? Um, I'd want to be uh, The Rock. I'd love to, you know, um, play like, you know, like even his role in San Andreas where he plays my father. Like I'd love to, to you know do all the cool stuff he got to do and fly helicopters and, you know, um, that's really fun. I love doing that kind of stuff. I would like to see that happen. All right, let's start getting into some titles here. Uh, what is something about your very first on-screen gig that looking back now makes you say, I am so glad I got that first go with a soap opera? Well, I didn't know how to act when I booked that soap opera. I didn't know, like I had been in acting class, but I had only done commercials up to that point. So I learned how to find the cam where the camera was, where a mark was. You know, I was still at the point where you walk to the spot you're supposed to stand and you'd see me walking, look for it, find it, and then say my line. It, you know, I didn't know how to naturally land on a mark or find my light. Um, on-screen kissing was like a bizarre concept to me. So it was a great training ground just for the basic things you need to know that you can't learn in acting class. And then also just getting comfortable in front of the camera and a crew. I guess probably on that as well. You've already mentioned hitting a mark, but whether it's on that set or maybe your first major film set, what is something about the way movies are made that you know, seemed like a seemingly silly question to ask, but you wish way back then you had the nerve to ask about it. It's an interesting question. Um, I think I asked a lot of questions. The thing was, I was so naive and knew so little that I wouldn't have even known that a question was silly. You know, I had the nerve to ask. I think I was asking all kinds of questions. Like now I know it's not very polite to ask for playback, for example. Um, directors don't love when actors are constantly asking to see the scene back for good reason, because they don't want the shot to be judged. They don't want you to analyze the performance too much, you know. Um, but I would always just wander right up to Chris Columbus and be like, can I see that back? You know, like I would never do that now. Um, but I was, I, I, uh, was, I just didn't know enough to, um, to think that, that anything, any question was wrong. Um, and everyone was so generous with me, especially on that film on Percy Jackson, just sort of knowing that, you know, I was this like, you know, young girl who didn't, you know, I was astounded by everything around me. 
So there's a point early on when you are watching playback or at least asking or maybe looking over someone's shoulder. When that stopped, is there anything you learned about your craft by not having access to that that you might not have discovered otherwise? So I actually think that initially off the bat, um, it was actually very helpful. And I, I, I think a point came where it was not, but someone else mentioned this to me. They're like, you know, athletes, like baseball players, they record themselves swinging and watch it to see the slightest changes that they need to make or see what they did wrong. So I think there was a period of my career. And one of the things I'm so grateful for is I do think that I was being cast in things when, and I had been to acting class for years and I also needed to get older and wiser, but I was being cast in things and I still had so much to learn and watching myself back really helped me be like, oh, that's why that felt weird. It looks weird because I did this or I was in my head or whatever it was. So I think that there were things I learned and then at a certain point, it didn't help me anymore because I was past that point. I didn't need to watch myself. What I needed to do was um, get out of my head more. Um, and at that point, I, I, now I really don't need to see anything. And I trust the director. I do want to get into Percy Jackson specifically a little, but first kind of like a, this feels like a big question to be asking, but as someone with a younger sibling, I do, I think about this a lot, but not necessarily career-wise because we don't do the same thing, but I know you've got two younger siblings, both are actors. So what's something you did when you were first starting out that, maybe helped them out? And then looking back, what's something you would have done differently to set a good example for them? I think that, you know, my siblings, they, I'm sure that they watched what I was doing. Um, I'm seven years older than my youngest sister. Um, but I really, I just think, you know, they made their own, they, they really liked it and saw how fun it was. And I think that that was part of it was seeing how much I loved it and how much fun it was. Um, but I don't know that I would have, I don't know what I would have done differently or, but I think as far as helping them, I think just, just seeing that it was like a real job. I know that when I started out, I sort of thought actors were made in labs, like they weren't real people. They were like these like weird creatures that were made and then put on TV. And so I think that when you see someone you know actually doing it, it's like, oh, this is these are real people who can actually do this. Very good point. That always needs to be made. All right, Percy Jackson in particular now. It, feel, it feels like that movie, when it came out, was under a whole lot of Harry Potter pressure. Yeah. Are you able to feel that while you're making the movie? And if so, do you find something like that motivating or daunting? I, again, I didn't know enough to even... Like, I loved Harry Potter and I knew that it was structurally, but to me at that time when I was casting that I was 22, to me, it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go do a movie. Like I didn't, now I'm older and I've been in enough films and gone through a bunch of press cycles and all of that stuff. And so I have more of a sense of how important this is or that is, or if a movie's going to work or not work or, um, but at the time it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm in a movie. Um, so I didn't think about the pressure of anything. I, I don't even think I understood. I didn't really understand what was going to happen from that movie or, um, the concept of like tracking or budgets or 
first weekend box office or that was all stuff I learned through it. So um, any pressure I felt was just a pressure to, to do a good job. I just wanted to do a good job and, and have fun. Um, uh, and that was the pressure that I was putting on myself. I wasn't thinking about like, is this too similar to Harry Potter or is this going to work or anything like that? Do you think about that stuff now with all of your experience or are you kind of successful, I guess, in terms of keeping the, like the box office and the reception and all the pressure that comes from it being, you know, tied to a, a movie that's somewhat similar and just keep the focus on your work? I, I mean, I think about my career and, and one of the things that my experiences have taught me is that you can't really put too many expectations. You'll drive yourself crazy. Um, Sometimes, you know, oh, this movie isn't going to work or this movie is going to do this. And I'm okay with that. And then but the, the biggest successes I've had in my career, I did not expect or, or they were completely out of the blue. And the biggest jobs I've, I've booked, I had no concept that I was going to book them. Um, so I've tried to maintain my sanity or whatever my viewpoint on life is, I... I try not to put too many expectations on things. Um, I do have more knowledge and understanding of tracking and how things are going to work. And um, But like True Detective, for example, which I'm sure we'll get to, it's like I didn't see what was going to happen from that coming at all. Um, and uh, I don't even think I was invited to that premiere. I didn't go to the premiere of that show. And then... And then it ended up being a huge thing for my career. Um, so you just never know what's going to happen. So I just try to do the best I can and whatever I choose to do. And, and that's it. I have so many follow-ups. Was it like what's happening when I, when you didn't get invited to that premiere? I didn't care. I don't, I mean, everyone has an ego, but I, I'm like, if they want me, they'll call me. You know, and if not, I have, a, I need to build a rich enough life apart from that to be happy. You know, no, I don't even think I, I didn't expect to be invited. It was only afterwards in retrospect when I was at the Emmys that I was like, wow, I'm a big enough part of this show to be invited to the Emmys on behalf of the show, even though I'm not nominated. Um, but, um, you know, it was just something that I don't think anybody expected, including myself. I really didn't expect people to have that reaction to um, that character the way that they did. You also mentioned the press on Percy Jackson. And I think about that a lot because I think that was my very first like big blockbuster movie junket ever. And I've certainly learned a lot since then. So if you could go back to that press junket and give yourself one piece of advice for, you know, that whole press string that comes with a major movie like that, what would it be and why? That you don't have to be perfect. Like I know they sent us to um, they sent us to media training on that film. Um, we were all very young, and I had zero experience. Um, so you know, I was very concerned about like promoting things the right way and saying the right things, and and. Um, you know, I was younger too. You just get older and you sort of, I'm more now like, okay, just be yourself. Like I still get nervous and want to say the right things and not say anything stupid. But, um, I, uh, I just would have been like, you know, relax, 
But like, that's true of any young person. Like I would have gone back in time in every situation and been like, chill out. It's okay. But there's something about putting that pressure on yourself. That's like, you have to, to grow. Speaking of not, you know, embarrassing yourself, I feel like I'm about to do it with this next question, but can I ask you like a really obnoxious Texas chainsaw question? Of course, please. All right. So there is, there's one sequence in the movie where Heather runs out of the house and she falls down the stairs unprovoked. And then she trips over a baby fence lining the cemetery. Why? What, what was the discussion behind those stunts and that blocking? I couldn't tell you any discussions. I don't know. Um, I mean, look, that movie, um, it's a Texas Chainsaw movie. It's supposed to be fun. Um, I'm very grateful to have been in it. I had a really unique experience shooting that film. Um, I don't remember raising issue with those particular stunts. I do remember at one point, saying like I wanted to cut the line um do your thing cuz do you remember that line where I, I say do definitely remember that line throw on the chainsaw and the producer was like this is the movie like you know and and so I think that that's just what the movie is is it's like you know it's supposed to be silly and the audience is supposed to laugh and be scared and whatever um but when you ask why, I mean, there's plenty of movies that I don't know why. Maybe no one knows what they're doing. I have no idea. Sometimes people do, you know. Um, and I do remember that was a stunt double and she did an excellent fall and everyone was like, oh my God, what an amazing fall. So maybe they just felt they had to put it in the movie because she did it. I don't know. You know what? I would respect it if that's why the choice was made. You did just describe it. I think, what, what's the word you use? Unique, a unique shoot experience or something along uh, those lines. What made that unique that you hadn't experienced on another set? Well, I hadn't been working leading up to that film. I was, I, I was, um, my partner was working and uh, I didn't know a lot of people in LA. I was young and I, I was having trouble getting work. And um, I was very excited to book the job and be working. I was of a certain age where going off with a bunch of people your age and working and was very exciting. Um, there were a lot of challenges on that project, like there are on every project, by the way. But it taught me about what happens when things go wrong, what happens when things go right, you know, why did they go wrong? Why shouldn't they have happened? Uh how does the studio get involved when something goes wrong? How studios interact with projects? Again, it was just a learning experience for me coming off of Percy Jackson. Um, and I think I had done Hall Pass before that. Um, I think. I'm trying to remember. But, I, you know, projects where um, there were issues, certainly, because there's issues on everything. But these were more severe. So, but that again, I've done a million, pro things go wrong. So I just, I just learned a lot about, about, um, you can learn a lot from, from mistakes. That's all. I always talk about that on this show. So I appreciate you bringing that up. All right. True detective briefly. Cause I know in the past you've described your choice to do that show as a, as a tactical decision. So in the end, ultimately how did it wind up changing things for you? And did you get the results that you were hoping for? The tactical decision was I went in for the audition and they seemed vaguely interested. 
and it was for a different role. And I was like, well, they're vaguely interested and I love these actors and I love Carrie Fukunaga and I want to be in this show. So let me force them to hire me. So, you know, I, I thought like, I need something on my resume that shows that um, I can do something different or something. I just thought it would look good on my resume. Um, that was where I sort of was at, at that point. And um, that would look to Hollywood like, oh, she's doing something different. Um, I didn't expect to have what I had happen happen, which was, you know, it's a long time ago now, but and getting naked on a show where, you know, I didn't have a huge role. I, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and then of course that episode aired and it was just my manager called and I'll never forget it. I was sitting on my boyfriend's couch and she calls me in the morning after the episode aired and she was like, the phone's been ringing off the hook all morning. Like we cannot, it's just, we cannot, the phone won't stop ringing. And, you know, all of a sudden everyone in town wanted to meet with me and then I booked San Andreas. And um, so, no, I would have never expected that from that role. So um, it was tactical, but not that tactical. I'm busy playing six degrees of Kevin Bacon all the time, and I'm not sure if this is really how the industry works, but is there anything about True Detective that you think connected the dots to White Lotus? You mean like, because they're both HBO? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, HBO does, I mean, maybe um, True Detective has been a huge help in general. Um, it's made a difference in my career, uh, for sure. Um, and uh, I know off for White Lotus, I know I did a good audition tape that Mike White liked, and that was the feedback I got. So it all worked. Um, but yes, you have to get approved by the network and you have to get approved by studios and all of that. So who knows? Um, who knows? But um, I'm sure it didn't hurt. Applying a similar thinking to White Lotus, is there anything about taking that gig that made you say, you know, at this point of my career, I want to show this side of myself to the industry? Well, when I took White Lotus, I think... I mean, it was in the middle of the pandemic. I didn't expect to work at all. And um, it kind of just fell in my lap. I mean, it's kind of like when you let go thing. I don't know. I, you know, I working with Mike White was a dream. He's an amazing director. And the project, I really, the material really spoke to me and my sensibilities and dark comedy and the social commentary and all I really believed in the project. Um, but there wasn't anything tactical about it except, wow, what a great job to get in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and it shoots in Hawaii. That's great. Let's do it. You know, um, back when I did True Detective, I was I was uh, so career focused that um, I was um, I was thinking about things in a very different way. Um, I'm still career focused, but then this this was not like, oh, I'm going to this is the job. Um, I, I just feel very lucky that I was right for it. I think I'm allowed to say this because this won't air until uh, White Lotus has started, but you are so good. The show is so good. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. I started you. it and I couldn't turn it off and it made but all these other assignments I had to do so difficult because I kept binging those screeners. So congratulations okay. on that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, Mike White's amazing. I'm really, really... 
I'm really, really, uh, this was a, this was a luck one. Um, I'm really grateful to be part of it. It's a really cool story. I, I had a great time with the character. You should be very proud. Thank All right. You. The obligatory Dwayne Johnson question. Mm. I know you've been asked a million of them, so I'm mm. going to try to come up with one that you haven't been asked. Okay. So. We see him as like a big action star doing all this cool stuff all the time. He's got his tequila company. He's busy eating these massive meals. I want you to tell me the most boring thing about Dwayne Johnson, the most boring quality or the most boring thing you've seen him do. You're right. I have never, I have never heard that question. Success. Um, I mean, Dwayne is so boring. What can I tell you? No, I mean, I think that the thing with, Dwayne. Um, and again, I, you know, he's just struck me as being a very family oriented. And I think he presents this part of himself to the world. I think he's quite authentic, um, I think, but he's just a really good family oriented guy. Um, and uh, he, um, he's just really, really grounded and down to earth. Um, and Again, I think that's all stuff that he portrays publicly. Um, but uh, that was really, you know, what the, the impression that I got, um, which isn't boring per se, but, you know, it's not like he's running around with a tequila bottle and a plate of brownies on set every day, like, let's live it up, you know? Really? That's what I'm picturing right now. <laughs> he's, he's like a really, you know, he's a normal guy. I mean, he's not normal, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he does portray all of that through, you know, social media and all these press junkets. And from from my perspective, it's always greatly appreciated because he's always a pleasure to encounter at all of those. Is San Andreas 2 still a thing? I wasn't even going to bring it up, but then I was reading the bio that I was sent for you and it, it, it's in there. I, I don't know why they, I, I don't know what that bio is. I don't know. It was mentioned to me several years ago when I went into New Line. Uh, I don't think that the exec that I was speaking to is there anymore. Um, but they had a draft written, and but I, I, as far as I know, it's I, it's not happening. Um, but uh, I, I don't. Uh, it's been a long time. Okay. I, I don't think. I don't think so. I, I think right. it was in development at one point. I should say that happens in Hollywood all the time. Absolutely. All right. I can't not talk about We Summon the Darkness. Mm -hmm. So in preparation for this, my limited internet stalking has basically told me that you are good friends with your co-stars from that movie. And it was making me wonder, is is that something that you generally seek out? You like to have a good working relationship and a good friendship and that enhances the work? Or is that not necessarily a priority? I like to have a good working relationship. I think that most actors are quite generous and um, most people, you work with so many different people and you have to, so even if, but again, I'm not someone who forces anything. I don't, I don't think that everyone's going to be like this. Like sometimes people just aren't, you know, or sometimes you get along with someone really well, but it's like, you're never going to go have lunch with them. Like, it's just kind of the way that it, that it is. So I let things happen naturally. Again, having a good working relationship is important and learning how to, you know, I know how to read the room. And, um, but, uh, no, I, with the people I worked with on We Summon, I naturally get along with them very well. Yeah. Maddie and I are quite close. Um, Amy and I are, our friends. Um, 
and uh, one of the girl Morgan, who's on my YouTube channel all the time, is actually I met her through Amy. So, um, so I have a lot of close friends off of that. I'm also currently convinced that Logan and Fred from White Lotus need to play brothers in a movie. <laughs> Logan, Logan Miller. Miller? Um, they, you're right. They have a very similar sensibility. You're right. They would, that would work very well. Fred is a delightful, Fred and Logan are the loveliest people. They are both so talented. And I'm, I'm a big believer that Logan never gets the credit that he deserves. I'm going to tell him you said that. Logan Miller, um, he's an excellent actor. Um, I actually just spoke to him yesterday. It's funny that you um, cause he hangs out with Morgan all the time too. Um, he's a, he's a very talented actor, great person, and he's very funny. Um, I'll let him know you said that. Please do. Yeah. I mean it. Um, the other thing about We Summon the Darkness that I think about all the time is that you kind of need to play more villains. Sure. Is that, is that something that, uh, I don't know, you might be seeking out or, or maybe a better question would be, is there anything about playing a role like that in We Summon the Darkness that kind of, you know, let you tap into something regarding your craft that you had never done before that you would like to do again? I think that the fun part about playing, the fun part about playing a villain is making a villain likable. I mean, I think that the best villains are there, you understand their perspective. And that's true of any character. What is this person's perspective? And they really believe in what they're doing. Um, uh, she's very unhinged in We Summon the Darkness. I got to play unhinged, which I enjoy playing. Um, but um, it's, it's a villain is a nuanced thing. I mean, I admire so much, like we see it in the Joker, like in what reaching the epitome of the Joker with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is, wow, you really feel for what this, you really understand how this person became who they are. So I think that that's, playing a villain is not like, I'm a bad guy, you know, there's a very nuanced layer of pain and past and all that kind of stuff that goes into it. So yeah, of course, I would love to tackle something like that. You are shockingly successful at making her likable because I don't know what this says about me, but towards the end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, but there's like a split second where something bad could have happened to her or someone could have made a decision to do something nice for her. And like part of me was rooting for something good to happen to her, even after everything she had did. I find that moment so stressful. Good. Well, I'm glad that you cared enough about her to hope she yeah i mean i guess that's that's the fun part about a villain is you secretly are kind of rooting for them it's kind of true all right dying a gunfight now what was it about that script when it came your way that made you say this is the film that i need for myself right now um it was a beautiful script that script the project fascinated me because that that script had been around Hollywood for like 12 years with various people attached and even announcements being made. You can see the announcements of all these big actors being attached over like a decade. Um, there was a reason that people were attached to it. Um, it's a really beautiful script and a wonderful love story. And um, 
I don't know. I was just fascinated by the idea of getting it made and um, actually bringing it to life. And um, it's a love story. It's fun to shoot. I I thought it would be, it, I love the idea of a good love story. It was Romeo and Juliet sort of themed. And um, I just loved the idea of, of bringing the character to life. Um, and... Uh, I'm glad that it finally got made. Who doesn't like a good love story? And you get to make out with boys in the rain and you get, you know, to cry and and do very dramatic things. It's fun for me. Jumping off something that's brought up in the movie, can you cry on cue? Oh, yes. Basically, yes. Are you going to make me do it? No, absolutely not. It would break my heart if I did that. I can cry quite easily. I mean, years of practice of access. The other thing about being an actor that's kind of interesting is like we're taught sort of in regular life not to cry at the drop of a hat and like to suppress our emotions to get through the day, you know? And as an actor, you're sort of trained to do the opposite. You're trained to understand what makes you angry, understand what makes you sad, understand and know how to access that very quickly. Um, which I actually think is, um, not a bad thing. Um, so yes, I'm very in touch with my sadness. So we're going to play a game that's kind of uh, die in a gunfight theme. But first, I wanted to squeeze in one more White Lotus question, because there there's a scene earlier on in the season that's really stuck in my head. I want to know what it's like going toe to toe on set with Connie Britton, because there's a conversation that you two have. I think it's in episode two where I could just see like a part of your character dying inside and I could feel it all. And she is just going at it in that conversation. And if made me sweat watching it. So like, what was it like doing that scene with her? Um, she's an incredible actress and I, um, everyone in the show is so great, which make, I mean, it's like a tennis match. So when someone's that good, um, you get to react off of that. So I just lived in the moment and, um, uh, reacted authentically to, um, to the awkwardness of that situation. And, um, she's just incredible. Yeah, I definitely felt I could feel the scorching dislike. Um, and in my character, my character is, she thinks she's this, you know, feminist who's coming in and, oh, isn't this this wonderful thing that I did? And um, it's just a shot to the heart when it's like, oh, God, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, so yeah, it was easy to live in that. She did an incredible job conversation is legit my worst nightmare that I meet someone that I interviewed and they're like that sucked yeah I think Mike <laughs> nailed it on that like I, I completely would yeah you write something that you believe in and then someone's like um no everything that you thought you were writing you did the opposite and you're <sighs> terrible you're actually a total hack and I feel that, like any craft <laughs> I mean as an actress it's like when someone says you know you're a bad actress it's like Oh, my life's work is like, it's horrible, but you know, that's, that's part of, um, what it is to, uh, be a journalist for her. You know, she's, she's dealing with the real world. Absolutely. To put yourself out there in any respect kind of opens the door to that. Right. All right. So we're going to play another game. This is our movie-themed dream team. And leaning into the fact that Die in a Gunfight is kind of, uh, like Romeo and Juliet, we're going to give you the opportunity to remake the movie of your choice. If you could pick 
any movie, any movie at all that you love and remake it today, what would you pick? And be in it? You got my next question, but yes, you have to be in it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this is sort of a lame answer because it's like kind of the same as die in a gunfight. Well, but um, one of the reasons, as I told you, I took die in a gunfight was I love love stories and I love this idea of, you know, like Pride and Prejudice, Queer Nightly. I loved that role, that whole, I love that period piece. Um, I wouldn't be able to do an accent, but I just think it's just this, you know, I love, love the idea of uh, that movie is so beautiful. Um, yes. Let's just remember, this is your remake. We can relocate it to the to the States. Great. So I don't have to do it. You can even put it, put it in the, the South so you can have your Southern accent. Yes. I've also always wanted to play Ariel. I love that they're doing a live action Little Mermaid. Um, so I can't say that because they're already doing it. They've, they've, they're doing it. Um, but uh, that would be my answer. Yeah. All right. So if we're sticking with Pride and Prejudice here, who are you playing in the cast? The girl, the, the, the sort of unrequited, the, the, the guy that she's going to end up being with, she doesn't know what his deal is. And then, you know, she finds out that he loves her and all the drama with that. Just like, I just think that the simplest stories are sometimes the best, like, like the stark, the lovers that can't really get on the same page and the drama of that, um, that I find to be just so there's so much emotion that that's it's like the most important thing is you know love and the complications that happen with it and so yeah all right so the next part of this is we need to give we need to give you an ensemble to work with so you could take three past co-stars with you who are you taking and what roles do you cast them in well we were just talking about um we summon the darkness i'd probably take maddie with me um, I don't know what role she, there's the other, the other role. I'm not really good at this game. I don't, I'm really bad with the names and pride and prejudice, so I can't help you too much Make there. Rock, Elizabeth Bennett. That's one of them. Isn't she the main Elizabeth one? Elizabeth Bennett. That's right. Yes. Elizabeth Bennett. Jane. Jane's the older one. Yes. She'd be one of the, the sad characters. thing is I feel like I only know this information from pride and prejudice and zombies. Well, look, I mean, it's the right information. Um, let's put The Rock in there. I think that that would really make people confused. He would really be going on a new journey. We can get Dwayne to start his, you know, sort of smaller um, romance film career. Um, and who else do I? I don't know what role I'd put them in, but like... Um, there's so many people I loved working with. I really loved working with Thaisa Farmiga. She's really incredible. I would make her another one of the sisters. She's an incredible actress and person. Excellent choices. Yes. All right. Now the big thing to make your version of Pride and Prejudice stand out from the versions that came before. You need a big twist to make it stand out. What is the big twist of your version of the movie? Oh, God. Um, big twist? Well, in modern day, I mean, we could totally, um, like, just turn it into halfway through, make it like a sort of Independence Day type thing. Um, so you think it's one thing, and then in the middle of the movie, it's actually aliens are coming, and we have to survive somehow, except it's a different time period. 
You're making me regret not wearing the Independence Day t-shirt that I just got in the mail right now. That's excellent. I need to see that movie. Great. I'm glad that you like my movie I put together. We've hit the end of Ladies Night, and we always end it with the same two questions. First one is, can you name someone in the industry that you think is changing it for the better? Um, there is a, uh, there are, um, a lot of women running things right now, uh, who I think are really incredible. Um, the woman who runs Amazon, whose name I'm forgetting right now. There's someone who I know personally, who I think is really incredible. Her name's Allison Seeger. Um, she is a producer. Um, she's my age and, um, she's just does incredible work and watching her work is incredible. And, um, and uh, I just love how many really wonderful women are, are uh, changing the business. And, um, and Allison Seeker is one of them. I love that. Now for the last one. It's a, it's a heavy one. You could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome? Flying. I mean, I have a lot of fears. I've had fears like everyone else of failure or of all kinds of things, but flying um, was a really big one. I used to really, really struggle with it. Um, I still have it a little bit, but I've overcome it just like how they say, facing your fears by doing it. I have to fly. I fly all the time. And over time, you just fly enough that you just, you know, you go to the airport and you don't cry every time the plane takes (laughs) off. So that's been a huge thing for me. Why doesn't that advice apply to going to the dentist twice a year? I still cry every time I go to the dentist. My fear of going to the dentist has not yet been tackled to the point (laughs) where I have been told by several dentists to have my wisdom teeth out and I just have not done it. So you're right. I mean, I think a lot of conquering your fear is just doing it. I'll tell you, I'm the biggest baby in the world when it comes to going to the dentist. The wisdom teeth, you don't even know because they knock you out. You would be totally fine. Great. I'm going to (laughs) make my appointment. All right. Now that I've sent you off to that wonderful experience, I got to say goodbye and let our viewers know that Die in a Gunfight is going to be available in theaters and on demand on July 16th. And then White Lotus kicks off on HBO on July 11th. Do check them out. Alex, huge congratulations on both of them and everything you've accomplished over the years. Thanks for hanging out with us on Ladies Night. Thank you so much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. 
Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.